are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. It's great to be with you. Last week I sat here and said my heart is breaking for the people in Texas, and today my heart is still breaking for the people in Texas and in Mexico and the Caribbean and Florida and on and on. Boy, we must extend our prayers uh, to God on behalf of these people. We have a team uh, today from Bethany First Church in Houston, and uh, if you would like to be a part of a team that goes to Texas or maybe now Florida, um, you can contact our church office uh, or you can email Barbie Moore. She would help you become a part of a team to go help out, okay? Last year, I, uh, I spent a week with a few hundred senior high students at a church camp. If you haven't lived in a dorm or a bunk room with 40 uh, high school students, maybe you should try it. Uh, it might be life-changing for you, you know. It, it was everything that you would expect a church camp to be. So, you know, there was competition. There were great friendships being made. There was lots of sunshine and sunburns and lots of water sports and just, you know, um, a lot of fun. But, but it was a church camp, and so every day you, you went to church together, and they had this band, and the students loved the band, and they sung with all of their hearts, and they had this guy who spoke who could really relate to a high school student. And then they had, you know, a time of the day where they would say, this is just a time for you to be with God. And so just, you know, the only thing we say is don't be with anybody but just you and God, okay, for the next 15, 20 minutes. And then after services at night, you would get with this small group and you would just talk about what God is saying to you and what you're learning. There were opportunities to serve and give. And then there were these students who weren't maybe Christian. And there was this overall sense of wanting to share Jesus with them, not to not to be forceful, but just to offer Jesus, you know. On the last um, day of camp, the speaker said, you feel so close to God. You've grown so much this week in your faith. You're so fired up about living for Jesus. But we often think like this. Now it's time to go back to the real world. He said, what if? What if this is the real world? What if this is what Jesus really intended your life to look like every day? What if this is what God really desires for you? To do these things all of the time. What if this is what His church is really supposed to look like? I've been anxious all week to come and be with you today because I've got something I really want to say to you and here's what I really really want to say to you, and that is this, that God, God has established, not man, okay, but God, God has established a community. And it's called the church. 
And, and, you're, and you're with that community right now. God has established a community, and it's called the church. And God has established the community where we can commit ourselves to certain practices together, where we can grow together, and where we can become more like Jesus together. Okay? So God has established a community, and it's called the church. You're part of it right now. You're gathered with people right now because that's what the church is. The church is not a building. It's not some structure. It's not an address. The church is a gathering of people. So God has established a community, and that community is called the church. And it's within that community that we practice certain practices together, and we grow, and we become more like Jesus. You in agreement with that? I don't know why, I just feel like I need a little feedback, okay? So feel free to get involved as we work along together here. It's not my idea, it's what I get from Scripture. So let me take you to the book of Acts, okay? And over these next six weeks, we're going to be in the book of Acts, and we're going to take a really good look at the church. We're going to start with chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 42. Now, Jesus walked the earth did his ministry. At 33 years of age, they crucified him on a cross. They buried him in a tomb, but in three days he was raised from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days many times. And he said to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for this gift that my father's promised you, okay? That's the Holy Spirit. And all of the believers waited in Jerusalem, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the birth of the church. It was huge. On opening day, the first day of church, they had 3,000 people who signed on and embraced the message. Within a few days, the number was up to 5,000 people. And the church of Jesus Christ has spread like a wildfire ever since. You just can't stop it. It's the church of Jesus. And so what happens as he's telling this story, Luke and his gospel kind of takes a break at chapter 2 near the end and just says, okay, let, let me show you what the church looked like. Let me just give you a picture. Let me tell you what they did. Let me, let me just give you this picture and let you see for yourself. And so as I read these words... Can you picture in your mind all of these things happening? They, meaning these people who were gathered together, the church, because that's what the church is. It's a gathering of people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Can you see them listening to the apostles' teach? And they devoted themselves to fellowship. Can you see them standing, talking, looking like our greeting time this morning together? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It's not only referring to like eating food together, but the Lord's Supper together. Can you see them doing that? And they devoted themselves to prayer. Can you see them on their knees? Can you see them praying? Everybody was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, meaning they, there was great unity. And everything they had, they shared in common. They, they sold property. This means like when they had extra piece of land, they might even sell it. And they would give to anybody who had need. 
And every day they continued, every day, not just on Sunday, but every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes, okay? So they were going to each other's houses for meals and they ate together. And they also practiced the Lord's Supper together with really glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Everybody was scratching their heads saying, look at this group of people who are gathering together. They weren't called the church in those days. They were called the way. And they referred to people who were part of the church as people who were part of the way. And then it says, And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Every day, somebody got saved. And so I see six things happening that we talk about here a lot. I see... I see a real strong devotion and commitment to a practice, and that practice is worshiping together. Real strong devotion and commitment to that. They got together all the time to worship together. Real strong commitment to one-on-one time with God. They were praying. They were into the apostles' teaching. They were spending time, one-on-one time with God. They were investing in one another. They were getting together in smaller groups, even in one another's homes, and investing in each other's walks with God, praying for one another. They were, they were generous. <laughs> they were giving to one another. They were serving each other. And obviously they were sharing their faith like crazy because people were getting saved every day. I see six practices taking place in this early church. So let's talk a little bit about what we've, what we've read, okay? Um, Annette and I moved here five years ago. And, um, and so when we, when we got here, we kind of had this idea of let's kind of see what's around in Oklahoma. And so when we would hear things about, you know, things in the area, we might go give it a try. So I remember one day we went to this festival. And we'd seen a commercial on television, and the commercial said thousands of people come to this event every year, and it's really a big deal. And I mean, the, the commercial made it look just like, well, I mean, if you went, you know, it would take days to do it all, it felt like, you know, and, and uh, it just looked awesome. And so we, we went, we paid our money, we stepped through the gate, and I, I said to Annette, Annette, I think this is it right here, this is it. She said, there's no way. I mean, she had seen the commercial. And, and I said, no, I, I think this is it. Right, when, right, right there was caramel, uh, uh, not caramel, but kettle corn being made right there before your very eyes. And I laid my money down and I said, I'll have some kettle corn. And they gave me kettle corn. They scooped it right up off the deal and into the bag. And it was awesome. I didn't know that that was the best thing there all day. <laughs> I mean, it took us about a minute and a half to walk that little circle. And we looked at each other and said, I think this is it. She said, well, what about the food they talked about? We went over and we said, we'll have one of those. And they said, we're out. And we said, oh, it's kind of early in the day and there's not many people here. And they said, yeah, I know, we're already out. So I felt like my expectations had been violated. (laughs) You ever go to a restaurant and you see this picture in the menu of a food item and you go, whoa, that, that looks really good. And I'll have one of those. But then when they bring it to your table, it looks nothing like the picture and tastes nothing like what you're expecting. 
it's like your expectations have been violated, right? I was talking to one of our pastors this week, David Bond, and he said, my dad, when I was growing up, always told us that conflict is a result of a violation of expectations. Okay? Conflict is a result of a violation of expectations. He said, my dad just drilled that into my head when I was a kid. So hold on for a minute. When Jesus showed up, one of the things that I love most about Jesus was that people loved being with Him. And so, so what you read is that large crowds gathered around Him. I mean, people wanted to see this guy. They wanted to spend time with Him. Here's what else I love about it. So here's what the Bible says, okay? Sinners, that, that's the word the Bible uses, people who were just blatantly, outwardly sinful, the Bible says sinners gathered around Him. And then the Bible tells us about him going to people's houses who were sinful, and he hung around them, and they had like parties, and he stayed. And he liked those people, and they genuinely liked him back. And the reason I think that Jesus hung around people who were very far from him was because they were very far from him. And it was just his heart. He just loved people. He loved everybody. It didn't matter what they lived like, he loved them. He genuinely cared for people. And so the question that follows is simply this. So if we are his body, the church, followers of Jesus, this gathering of people, then shouldn't people like us like they liked Jesus? And even if we don't agree, because they certainly did not agree with Jesus, but they liked him, then if they don't like us, why don't they like us like they liked Jesus? I mean, for heaven's sakes, we're the church. We are His body. We are His bride, right? Well, the church has issues. I mean, if we're going to be really honest, we just got to admit the church has its issues, right? So I, I, I gave you that picture, but I didn't go a couple of chapters later and tell you a story about a guy named Ananias who heard that other people was selling their extra property and they were giving it to people who had need. And he sold some property and he brings the money and he says to Peter, here is what my property bought. I would like to give it to my brothers and sisters in need. And Peter said, you, you lied. It brought more than this. Why, why, why would you lie? And they bring his wife and Sapphira and she lies. And Peter scratches his head and he says, what, why did you lie? It was yours. You didn't have to give any of it. Or you could have given a portion, but why did you lie? And, and if you keep reading, there's the story of a guy named Paul who is this incredible missionary who plants churches all over the place with this guy named Barnabas. And they're just a great team together. And one day they say, why don't we, why don't we go visit all the churches that we planted and just see how they're doing? That's a great idea. And he says, okay. Barnabas says, I'll call John Mark and see if he wants to come. And Paul says, I'm not going if John Mark goes. And he says, what, what do you mean you're not going if John Mark goes? John Mark deserted us and I'm not going if he goes. And so Barnabas says, well, then you're not going. And Paul says, well, then fine. I won't go. 
And he says, well, fine. I'll go with John Mark. He says, fine, I'll go with Silas. And they got mad and they just split up and they went different ways. And, and it's 2017 and the church still has issues. We still do really stupid things in church world. We still blow it. Because we're humans and we're in the flesh. And although sin is not a way of life for us by any means, sin does not rule our lives, we still are subject to selfishness and doing really dumb stuff. So, probably there's people sitting in front of me who would say, you know what, Rick? I've been hurt by the church. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that would say, you know what, the church really hurt me. What, what do I do with that when the church really hurts somebody? So, as we're just working through this train of thought together, um, I think what we're really saying is that I came to church expecting Jesus. But my expectations were violated. I came to church thinking people at the church were going to be like Jesus, but... Boy, this person was not acting like Jesus at all. And this other person was honestly just a hypocrite. And my violations were, my expectations were violated. And, and the church let me down. And, and now I feel this sense of conflict with church. So, so what, what, do you, what, what do you do with that? Because I don't think you can separate Jesus and the church. Okay? I don't, think, I don't think that's a possibility. The, the, the Word of God says that the church is His body. The, the Word of God says that the church is the bride of Christ. The, the Bible says that Jesus loves the church. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church, okay? Jesus Himself said, I will build my my, it's mine, okay? I will build my church and nothing is going to, nothing is going to stop me from doing that. I will have a church. And so it's not like you can just say, well, then I'm, I'm just done with church. Because you can't really separate Jesus from the church. It's impossible. You can't do that. And, and while deep in our hearts, we know that, that much of what we see in church is not what Jesus intended I don't think Jesus is shocked. And I don't think he's surprised because he knows that the church is a gathering of people and people are imperfect. And until we get to heaven, we will be imperfect. But what if? What, what if we could, we could look like this church right here, this picture, right? I mean, I mean what if we could... What if there was a button that you could just press that said reset? And you could just reset the church. 
And we could all go back to this picture right here. What, what would that be like if, if all of our lives just went back to that right here? You just, somebody press the button again, would you? We need to reset. And reset, and, and now that's what we become. So we, we know what the problem is clearly. Let's talk about what we do. How, how do you reset? So when I was 19, um, I, um, I, was, I was on a path that had a very predictable destination, and it was not good. I was going down the wrong road. And I remember the night that I got on my knees and I asked Jesus if He would forgive me of my sins and if He would help me get my life turned around and go the right direction. And so when I prayed and I asked for forgiveness... I mean, I can tell you, I was born again. It was like there was a, a brand new me. I was completely different than what I was like before. I mean, my values, it was just, it was an immediate transformation. Everything changed for me. I was new. I was different, okay? And so, so here's what happens immediately. Nobody said to me, you should do this stuff, but it just started happening. I wanted to do this stuff. So like I would do this, I would, I, w- I would go to church all the time. Every time the doors were open, I'm there. In fact, if my church was closed, I went to somebody else's church. If, if somebody else had church on a night that we didn't have church at our church, I went to that church. I just wanted to go to church all the time. And I found myself praying and reading my Bible. I was hungry. I wanted to grow. It felt like that was the way I was going to draw closer to God. And I was trying to get people together with me to invest in my life, to teach me. And I was trying to invest in their lives. I mean, if they said we need a volunteer, I was like, I'm, I, I've got time. I'm single. I'm 19. I can do it. You know, and I was volunteering for everything I could volunteer for. And I was trying to give my money. I had a job and I was trying to give. And I was also and this was big for me. I was inviting people to my church and I was trying to talk to people about coming to know Jesus. I mean, that's what I wanted to do so desperately. I wanted other people. And it wasn't because it was duty. It was like, if they could, if they could do what I'm doing, if they could live the life I'm living, if they could know what I know, if they could experience what I'm experiencing, if they could know Jesus, like I know Jesus, their life would be so good because my life is so good. And I think that's the picture that you see right here. I think that's what's happening right here. I think that what you have are people who were with Jesus, okay? They, they listened to Him preach. They, they saw Him crucified on a cross. They witnessed the resurrection. They've now been filled with the Spirit. And, and they're simply doing what comes natural. It's what they want to do. It's not like somebody saying, you guys should go to church. It's like, no, we're going every day. It's not like they said, you guys should get together. They were getting together. It wasn't like they were saying, you should spend some time in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And although they were Jewish people who understood these practices all of their lives, now they are at this whole new level of devotion to this stuff. See what I'm saying? Basic fact is this. You do what you love. That's the truth. You agree? When I get up in the mornings, I don't even think about this, okay? I just drag my old body out of bed. My hair is just sticking up everywhere. And in moments, I find myself in front of a coffee maker. I don't even know how I got there. 
because I love a good cup of hot coffee first thing when I get up in the morning. You know what? You know what I find myself doing? I find myself standing in front of ice cream shops thinking, how did I get here? I don't even remember driving here. I just love ice cream. You do what you love. I, I, I don't have thoughts like this. I think I'm going to hold Annette's hand. I don't ever think like that. I don't think I'm going to put my arm around Annette. I don't ever think like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hug Annette. I just find myself holding Annette's hand. I don't remember when I grabbed it, but where we're driving down the road, I just, I love Annette. I love to touch. I love to be close to Annette. You, you do what you love. So a guy who attends our church named Don Dunnington said to me once, do you, do you have a familiarity with a guy named James K. Smith? I said, no. He said he was written a book called You Are What You Love. So that's, that's different than you, you do what you love, right? I mean, it's taking that a little deeper, right? You are what you love. So I bought the book, and, and he says, you, you are what you love. Do, do you believe that? I'll say it. You say it back to me. You are what you love. So immediately, where do do our minds rush to? Well, what do I love? (laughs) Right? I love comfort. I know that. I love comfort. What what, what if I love material stuff? What, What does that say about who I am? Right? Or what if I love money? Or what if I love... I always throw this in because it's such a big deal in our world today. I talked about it last week. What if I love the sensual? What does it say about who I am? And I think immediately our minds rush to this other side of the conversation that says, but what if I don't love, like, worship? Or what if I don't love praying? What if I don't love investing in other believers? What if I don't love serving? What if I don't love giving? What if I don't love helping other people come to Jesus? Right? And so James A.K. Smith, he answers that question. And he, and, and he says, you know, so what if you're not there? What if that's not where you are? What if these aren't the things that you love? How do you reset? Where's the button that you push? How do you find that? How do you get back to be in the picture that we find here, right, in the early church? And he says, here's, here's where our minds always go, but it's not, it's not true. We always say, well, if I want to become a better disciple, if I want to become a better Christian, if I want to become more like Jesus then I should go to a discipleship class because, he said, we are convinced that we are not what we love. We're convinced that we are what we think. The world is convinced that Descartes was right. I think, therefore, I am. And I am what I think. He said, the problem with that is there is always a gap in my life between what I think or what I know and what I actually do. See, I think I should eat more healthy, but that doesn't mean that I eat more healthy, right? 
I think I should exercise, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean that I exercise. I think I should live a more generous life, but that doesn't mean that I live, therefore, a more generous life. And he says, no, 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 no. We're not what we think. We are what we love. And so how do we reset our hearts to love the right thing? How does God choose to do that in us? What is the process that God uses? And he says it's simply this. He refers to them as liturgies. I refer to them as practices. What if we go back and we take on the practices of the early church? And what if we begin to do these things? Would God then recalibrate our hearts? And so the practices are not just something that we do. They, they become something that God uses to change us. So here's what I want you to do. Would you just open your worship folder that you received when you came in this morning? And there's this little tear-off flap that you don't necessarily need to tear off unless you want, and you might want, and you might want to use it as a bookmark. But I want you to look at that little flap, and on one side it says, 40-day journey. And every fall of the year, my heart, my intention is that we would, we would try to recalibrate, reset as a church, okay? And, 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 and last year, I challenged you with practices. And this year, I want to challenge you again with practices, okay? And so what if for these next 40 days, these next six weeks, you begin to adopt practices, or you might say, I'm going to improve on some practices, okay? And, and the six are listed right there for you. And we've tried to make a very clear path for you again as to how you can do those practices. So number one, worshiping together. What if you said, for the next six weeks, I'm going to be here on Sunday morning, right here, Pastor Rick, for six weeks. You can count on me. I'm going to give myself to that practice because I believe that through that practice, God will change me. God will help me to become more like Jesus. When I come here, I'm telling you what, God changes me. God speaks to me. What if every day for the next six weeks I found some way to spend some one-on-one time with God? In that worship folder in the middle page is a daily devotional. You could use that or you could do your own thing. You could use another devotional book. But what if every day these do go along with the sermons? What if every day I said, you know what, for six weeks, and some of you that are looking at me right now would say, Rick, I have never done that in my life. I've never every day for a period of several weeks gotten up in the morning or before I went to bed at night or at my lunch break or sometime during the day, said, okay, I'm going to pray and I'm going to look at Scripture. I'm going to spend some one-on-one time with God. Never in my life have I ever done that. What if you adopted those first three? I'm coming to church every week. I'm going to give myself to this series. I'm going to, I'm going to pray every day. And, and I'm going to get involved in some kind of a, the third one is a group. Wh- whatever that looks like, you can start your own group. Your class can break up into smaller groups. You can come here tonight in room 026 and set at round tables with the group if that's easiest for you. There's this awesome brochure. Have you seen this thing? Did you get it last week? Group Life at Bethany First Church. It's available for you in the foyer. And there is so much information about the many groups that you could be a part of here. I mean, so many choices. I don't know how you choose. I mean, so many options for you to choose from. What if you found a place to serve? You can go to our website, click on serve, 
so many options. If you're having trouble finding somewhere, I mean, think about where the world is today and how much they need you to serve. You could go to Texas or Florida or wherever. What about giving? Taking on that practice. I'm going to live more generously in my giving. Think about the options for you to give today. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to invite somebody else to join me on this journey. So, here's what we find in the early church, okay? Um, I want you to just take a moment and look at the, the screen. There's a continuum on the, continuum on the screen, and, and, and there, is, there is low devotion and, and there is high devotion. Now, what, what we read about the early believers is that they were devoted. So we're talking about high devotion, okay? So if you put your own life right here on the continuum, where do you rate yourself? And let's just take a practice at a time. When it comes to your commitment to worshiping together, okay, where, where do you find yourself on the continuum? Would you say, um, you know, we're, we're kind of every other week people, so we'd probably be in the middle. That, that's about where we stand. Or, or maybe we're, we're once a month, folks. We're going to be more toward the low devotion. Or, or would you say, no, I'm, I'm an every week person, but don't, don't fool yourself. If you're really not, you're not. I mean, are you really here every week? If, if you're here every week, you're saying, well, that's, that's high devotion there. Think about the next practice, one-on-one time with God. How many days a week do you make sure that you spend one-on-one time with God? Would you say, well, it's at least every other day. So you'd say, I'm kind of in the middle there. I wouldn't call myself high devotion. I would call myself maybe middle of the road. Ah, maybe I'll try it on Saturday. And some of you say, no, it's every day. I'm high devotion on that. What about investing in other believers through some kind of a group or something where that you are actually praying for someone else, studying the Word with them, giving them instruction, they're giving you instruction? Where are you on that? What about, what about serving? Last week we talked about people who love to serve and so they serve. That's high devotion. We talked about people who don't like to serve and they don't serve. That's no devotion. So, so where are you on the continuum there? What about in your giving? What about in your commitment to sharing Jesus with other people? Where would you find yourselves? And I'm just going to I'm just going to help a lot of you answer this question because in my conversations one-on-one with you, many of you say to me, Rick, that is the weakest area in my walk with God. I don't really ever invest in people who don't know Jesus. Look at me for a minute, okay? We'll let that go back. I don't meet people who say, I don't go to church. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't invest in anybody's life. I don't give. I don't serve. I don't share Jesus with anybody. But man, my walk with God is growing like nuts, you know. Never do I meet anybody like that. So, you know what I know about myself? I, I, I know that when I do these things, God uses them to change me. That's what I know. So here's a good little point I want to make, and I'm about done. I went to Swaziland last in July, there for about a week and a half, and here's what my life looked like for a week and a half. We went to church pretty often, okay? 
If we didn't have a church service, we kind of did our own church. We met every morning as a small group, and we had this devotional time. It was really good. When you're on a missions trip, you know what the most natural thing that you do is you spend time in the Word and in prayer, right? I mean, you get a free minute up in the morning before you go to bed. You're going to be in the Word and in prayer. And, and then we were going out every day and serving, and you saw immediate needs. And when you saw the needs, you just, you just responded immediately. You just grabbed your billfold, and you just said, you know, I want to give to this. That, because that's, you're overwhelmed by the need in that moment. And we were getting to share Jesus with people when we went like on the AIDS task force and all that. I came home and, and I began to kind of like, who is this guy that just moved into my life? I like this guy. I like what God's doing in me. I, I like my heart. I like my desire to pray. I like what's happening in me. And, and then I realized, well, well no wonder... Look what that week and a half looked like. I was just devoted to the practices. And God was using those to change me. And I come home and I'm a different person. Last point, and then I'm going to stop talking. The very last line, and the Lord added to their number daily. Every day people got saved. You remember the first part of the sermon? Why are people saying, I don't, I like Jesus, I'm not into the church. When the church looks like this, people aren't running from the church, they're running to the church. When the church looks like this, people aren't running away from the church, they're running toward the church. So there's a mom and a wife named Nadia who attends here. And um, Nadia knows the church is not perfect. But she also knows that God has used the church and these practices to shape her into the person she is today. And I wanted you to hear Nadia's story. When I was a mother of two very small children, my dear sweet husband used to tell me that if he was staying home, he was sure he could figure out how to fit a workout in. I had two in diapers. I was new to staying home, and I was smack dab in the middle of birthing four humans. This was approximately the same time he was coming home reporting his 14% body fat, and I was trying desperately to be happy for him. A decade later, with four kids in school, I have it figured out. The working out part, not much else. In many seasons, it has looked like different versions of walking, run walking, and running around that FLC track. When the boys started playing ball, I would meet Drew at the FLC after work. The boys would practice, and I could sneak a run in while watching practice from the track. And here's what just eats me up. I'm a lifer. My parents brought me here as a baby. Save the four years I was at Olivet, I have spent nearly every Sunday of my life at 6789 Northwest 39th Expressway, and most Wednesdays, and a good number of Tuesdays, and also Saturdays. When the FLC fills up with three to four generations of this community, hauling kids in and out for sports, hustling from work in dress clothes, cheering till they're hoarse, hugging, correcting, praying, my life flashes before me. I've run around that track enough times to develop a solid case of vertigo. But every time I do, I stand witness to faith giants in my community that have impacted my parents' lives, my life, my kids' lives. Professors, coaches, Sunday school teachers, friends, 
I see individual, individuals who have personally invested in my life through notes of encouragement, people who have been to my basketball games and my wedding and my hospital rooms. I flat can't complete a lap and not see my faith, which has been lived out before me by a cloud of witnesses. To imply that I have come to my faith alone or just by the good parenting of Jeff and Jerry Jantz would be to undercut the transforming work of my community. My faith is strong and deeply rooted in hard evidence. Because I have seen faith lived out, I can do it. There comes a time to move from belief to trust and trust to action. For me, that time came when I started going to community Bible study about 10 years ago. As the mom of two, I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing the main thing. Through my guided study of the Word, community Bible study taught me how to love the Word and hear the Lord's strong, consistent voice in my daily life. Believe it or not, He speaks to me. He asks me to talk to people. He asks people to talk to me. He directs my path. He checks my intent. He calls me to action. And sometimes He releases me from action. None of this happens when I skip my meetings with him. It has also served to highlight the principle of helping my children, helping me teach my children to know and understand that the word is the thread binding his audacious pursuit of sinners throughout all time directly to their daily life. The sooner I can teach that concept, the sooner my kids' faith will become their own. Let me tell you, it's a work in progress. What has surprised me about digging into the living word is how it has changed my perspective on the offerings of my church, small group, Sunday school, family, and friends. While each of them have value in my life, they are all insufficient substitutes for the creator. My time with him is the main thing, and from it flows the ability and capacity to serve. This very special community thrives on the service of its good saints. It will die without it. I believe what the good word says. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. That's Luke 6.38. You understand, the reason this is Nadia's story is not because the church is perfect. The church is far from it. It's because Jesus, in spite of our imperfections, is present in his church, working, changing, transforming our lives. And today, we get to celebrate his presence, and we get to pray for his grace in our lives as we journey together these next 40 days. So would you stand with me? And would those of you who are going to service come at this time? In a moment, a tray will come by you and there will be two cups and you will grab one stacked on top of the other. And one is the bread, the other is the juice. And you can just take the bread out and put it in your hand. But would you hold it there and wait until everybody is served and we will eat and we will drink together. I would challenge you this morning that if you are sincerely seeking Jesus, 
if he is what you want, then please join us together in celebrating his body, his blood. If for any reason you feel uncomfortable doing so, it's not time for you to do that right now. That's not where you are in your life. Nobody's judging you. Let it pass you by. After you've all received the elements, we will eat and drink together in just a moment. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to Jesus was with his disciples he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body that is broken for you eat it all of you then he took the cup and he said this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many drink it and be thankful our only hope father is the presence of Jesus in his church Change us, transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Nothing else
being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you go, knowing you are his body today. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.